to this is Jonathan Mickles with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and I have with me again for a second time, Mr. Charles Seaman. How you go? How you doing, Charles? Good, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be back. Absolutely, man. Listen, thank you so much for joining us, and just for <clears throat> all the viewers out there. I am allergic to, I'm on travel and I'm allergic to something in this room. So if I happen to be coughing, I'll put myself on mute and grab some water here. But um, thanks again, again, Charles, for, for showing up. Uh, I wanted to interview you again because um, of your consistency in this business, man. It's been about two years or so, I think it is, that you've been doing every Saturday for about two or three hours uh, underwriting of, of new deals. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, about two and a half even. Uh, it, it it surprised some people because I did a live one last year on Christmas Day. And I, I I really thought long and hard about that one. For better or worse, there were more people there than I expected. Two and a half years and doing this underwriting stuff. What made you do that? You know, when I first started it, it wasn't intended to become what it has. Uh, the intent really was that we had some some newer team members who were working with us to find deals. And it was something that I was actually doing in person because a lot of them were people that I'd met locally at different meetup events. And we would get together every Saturday afternoon at the, the building I live in. We'd go in a conference room and just kind of get together in person and do it. And then when the pandemic started, that was no longer an option. So I said, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to start doing things virtually and just meet on Zoom. And while I had four or five people that would come and we'd get together in person every Saturday, I said, what's the difference if we open it up and invite more people? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm doing the same thing, whether it's four people or 40 people. So why not just open it up and we'll extend the invitation to more people? And the first couple of months, it, you know, to, it took a, quite a while to get some traction. You know, most weeks there were probably four, five, ten people there on the high side for the better part of the first eight, nine months. And it was actually when I became affiliated with the GOB network in December of 2020 that the attendance started to pick up on a more consistent basis. And when I first started doing it, it wasn't really intended to become something that would become so well known with me. But at this point, you know, a large part of the reason I do it is, is twofold. One, because it's the largest way that I get back at this point. And two, because it's it's become synonymous with my brand. So it's something that sets me apart and has made me unique, even though I didn't really expect it to become that. So you got a lot of certifications in it. Talk to me about that. So the certifications are actually from RE Mentor, which is one of the many multifamily education programs that are out there. I had taken some courses with them back in 2017 and 18, and those are you know, for different tasks and different skill sets. So they're for acquisitions, for funding, for asset management, for un underwriting. So it's basically going through some of the different curriculums they had and then getting certifications for those curriculums. So then in terms of, you know, this group, how did you find those people in the group? All different spots. Uh, so initially it started with just team members. Then oh, so they were, gradually, people who were together with you to potentially go after doing deals. Right. And that, the idea that was point, to, it kind of became my call to action on different podcasts I went on. And you know, people would always say you need a call to action. So I said, okay, well, what am I gonna say? 
And I wound up using the, the underwriting session because people seem to enjoy that. Uh, and then really now it's really just organic, a lot of referrals. You know, people have, have been happy with it, so they'll refer friends. You know, I probably have two people in particular that must have referred 30 or 40 people each to me. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of grown and taken on a, a life of its own, which is something I never expected it to do. So how many people are now in those groups? So on the mailing list, there's probably about 850 people. And that's with no marketing. That's totally organic, just through word of mouth and referrals and people listening to me on different podcasts. Uh, you know, realistically, there's probably anywhere between 35 and 50 that actually attend live each week. And there's probably a good, you know, 85 to 100 that actually register for it each week. So, you know, I, I'd imagine there's more that listen to the recordings aside from just the 35 to 50 that show up live. But it's it's good to see that there's been a steady following and there's been a lot of people who seem to appreciate it because it's something that there, there's a gap for in the industry that a lot of people aren't providing. So there is a, um, <clears throat> initially when you started doing this, uh, you were using Michael Blunt's um, syndicated deal analyzer. Are you still mm -hmm. using that or are you using some other tools right now? Still the same one. Uh, you, okay. you know, I do appreciate that a lot of people reach out to me and they ask me if I want to demo tools. So it's good to have that type of recognition. But what I know about myself is that, you know, if something works good enough, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. So Michael Block's indicated the deal analyzer does the trick. Is it perfect? No. But is anything perfect? No. Uh, but it, it it accomplishes what I needed to. And I said, you know, my my primary focus is looking at deals, not not playing with tools. I understand. Um, so then, how many how how many LOIs are you putting out as a result? I mean, you you know they say you know you got to look at a hundred deals to get one. Is that what you've been noticing? So when, when, with your first deal, definitely. So the first deal I put out probably somewhere, I probably looked at somewhere between 150 to 200 deals. Now I'm not going to say we put LOIs on, on that many of them. We probably put LOIs on maybe 30 or 40 of them uh, to get our first deal. But the good thing is after you do the first deal and every deal thereafter, it gets easier. So most times I could probably go 30 or 40 deals now before I, I get one accepted, sometimes less than that because track record builds up. So what happens is, I, I liken it to a video game and I tell people it's like leveling up. So, you know, when you're on the first level starting out, you know, you have to get past the, the first boss before you can go to the next, the next level. Yep. And you know, every level you advance, you get access to different things. You get access to different deals, oftentimes better deals. You get access to different people that wouldn't have worked with you before because you had no track record. So, Every deal you, you you close presents an opportunity to advance yourself and your, your company so that way you're scaling up and doing bigger, better things as you go. So it seems like you're doing bigger and better things under a new banner here. Cashflow Champs was not, um, when we last talked, I think it was April, you mentioned April of uh, 2021. Yeah. Uh, when we last talked, I think at that time you'd done about three deals or so. Now you've done how many deals? We're up to nine, and thankfully one of those went full cycle, so we're still in eight. Uh, full cycle is always great. It's it's nice to see those. I'd like to see a few more. <laughs> of course, but I mean, you're very selective now. As you mentioned, yes. as you've been leveling up, you, you're trying to go after some of the larger deals now, right? Yeah, so, you know, it, it's interesting. It certainly took a process. Uh, when I first got in this business, my intent was to go after deals that were 100 units and larger, and... Well, we came close on a few, 
we didn't get any. What I realized is, because that was 2017, 2018, the market was already quite hot. There was a lot of competition. And, you know, we were already late in the cycle. We just didn't have the track record. We didn't have the established relationships. So from a seller or a broker standpoint, I totally understand why they would pick different groups that they already have relationships with because you want somebody, you know, who can close. And at that time, we didn't have that. So we wound up doing our first four deals, four of our first five, in the 50 to 100 unit space. And while that wasn't the space we wanted to play in, what we realized is that it was the space we could be competitive in. And the level of competition uh, goes down significantly when you're looking in deals that size. So because of that, we, we use that as a stepping stone to get back to where we want it to be. So, and, and we've actually even done two more that are in that 50 to 100 unit space. So out of the deals we've done so far, you know, five of them have been in the uh, 50 to 100 unit space. Got it. So, Got so it. the good thing is after finally getting there, now we can definitely be competitive on deals that are 100 units and larger, you know, a year ago. And as we record this, it's November of you know, 2022. Uh, so a year ago, if I had submitted an offer on a 300 unit deal, even my best broker relationships probably wouldn't have taken it seriously. Yeah, yeah I totally dismissed it, but they wouldn't have taken it seriously. And while we certainly wouldn't be the favorite to go out there and win it now, we'd at least be in the conversation. So, there you go. That's it. Yeah, you're at least in the room. You're at least in the room. Right. You know? So, so again, a new banner here, Cashflow Champs. Talk to me about uh, what that organization is about and and uh, your new affiliation. Sure. So, one of the things you do in life is you, as you learn and you grow, as you figure out who the right relationships are for you and who you need to advance. Hmm. And what I realized with my my current team, you know, collectively as a team, we're new. Uh, the the brand itself is only as old as June of this year. But the the team members collectively or individually, I should say, are very experienced. And we all have different different skill sets and different things we bring to the table. Uh, one thing that I find is also important is we all have great work ethics. We have great commitments and we're all in this thing full time, which is something that was, was very attractive to me. So, you know, for me personally, I do the asset management and the acquisitions. We have two other partners that focus on investor relations another one that does general business operations and two guys that are doing branding, marketing, and social media. So we have a big team. We have six partners, but it's a a team that's going to allow us to grow. And, you know, when I first started in this business, the thought was you want to keep as much of the pie as possible. And and that's still the thought, right? You know, nobody ever wants to give away all the pie because if you do that, what's the point in in going to work and and putting that effort in? But what I realized is, realize is by having a bigger team and having these different pieces filled, while it will result in us giving away more equity, it's actually going to allow us to grow faster because we're going to have a need for these things on an ongoing basis. And and some people say, well, you can hire it. And there's truth. You can hire any skill. There's not a skill in the world that's not hireable. But hiring costs money. Hiring takes time. Hiring requires structure. It requires a, a lot of things that many companies don't have as they're starting out. So we can bring these skill sets in now and we can use them to grow and then we'll just grow the company that much bigger collectively. So that right. way the pie gets bigger. And even if you have a smaller slice of the pie, 
Now it's a smaller slice of a bigger pie. So you're still, you're still doing pretty well. And another thing you have is ownership, right? You have ownership, right. you know, bias in here rather than, hey, just pay me my check at the end of a week, two weeks, right. a month, whatever that is. And so you have people who wanted to do more than just the the bare minimum, if you will, to make that happen because they're right. um, a part of this and making it grow. So, um, <clears throat> well, that's good, man, that you're doing that. And, and I also know that uh, there's a meetup every first Monday of the month, I think it is. Yep. So for everybody in the Charlotte area, I'm a co-organizer for the Multifamily Investor Nation Meetup, and that's uh, what Jonathan's referring to. So come see us if you're here. Absolutely. I've been to a couple uh, just recently, um, uh, back to back, uh, and uh, it was uh, well worth the trip. And uh, the relationships and the conversations there, you're building something uh, great. So um, your partners there at Multifamily Nation um, should feel proud. Definitely. Um, so then what I wanted to kind of talk to you about today is, you know, in you pivoting, you know, I know that, you know, you had mentioned in some of the, the other Saturday, uh, uh, syndication calls that I had joined some time ago that, you know, you were working a full-time job and, you know, now that you're now have done nine deals, I think you've taken the leap to kind of say, I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and try to do this full-time now. And I don't necessarily need the nine to five. I don't know. Did I, did I get that right? Did, did you make that leap? It, it did. I probably took that leap before I really should have, but it's 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 a lesson learned. And you know, different people work and work well in different ways. So for me, uh, I always say I'm a great doer, not a great thinker. And what that means is I'm often going to be the one who's going to take action before I think about it. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. That's you know, that's pros and cons like anything else. But you you learn lessons. And for me, the lessons that I learn the best are the ones that usually have hard learning experiences because they teach me and they build character and in, in today's day and age maybe that's an unconventional way to learn but for me it works well actually okay so let's 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 just pause there so that <laughs> you said they 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 build character they're hard lessons but you know that, that stuff hurts how, how did you build the i guess the toughness in doing that because you know, most people, again, we just had the conversation about ownership versus hiring. With ownership, you're going to do a heck of a lot more than, say, you would do as, if you are a hired gun. Um, how did you overcome some of those those challenges? I mean, were you budgeting? What, what, what did you do? So part of it I have to attribute to, uh, ironically, my former boss. And I, I worked with him for about 14 years, a guy who was very successful, a commercial real estate investor himself. And when I was 20 years old and I, I started with him, I always say I was young, dumb, and broke. And, you know, at that point, I, I didn't have anywhere near the work ethic that I do now, but he probably beat it into me. <laughs> and and it's it's something that's served me well ever since. I mean, maybe I have a few more bags under my eyes, but aside from that, it served me well in terms of life lessons and, and work ethic and character. So taking that with me, you know, I, I took that as I started working for myself also. And one thing I always liked doing and that I consider myself at least fairly good at is solving problems. Some people would say I'm also good at creating them, but I, I like solving them. So, you know, if you if you throw a problem at me, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to resolve the problem. You know, I'm going to figure out what the solution is. And oftentimes it may be a problem that's in the moment that we're dealing with in real time. But I realize that's where I, where I excel. So one of the mistakes that I, that I made as I left my full-time job of 14 years and went into this, 
you know, more full time was that I, I really didn't think through how long it was going to take me to make income. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it sounds better in theory until you get in there. So what I did was after I made the jump full time in 2019, I did wind up getting a part time job also because I realized after a couple of months, I said, OK, I'm, I'm going to quickly run out of money if I if I don't do this, because this may take longer than I thought to actually build up. And what I always tell people with syndication is that there's a lot of money in syndication. None of that money's at the beginning. So there, there, there is money in it. It does get very lucrative, but you're going to have to, to work for it. And for most people, it's probably going to be a good three to five years worth of work before you really see it start paying off. So then let me, let me, let me pause because yeah. when you're doing syndications and, and so I, I think I understand the following. And so you can correct me. They're generally, for, for those who are listening, three different types of ways that someone who's in this business, as Charles talked about on the acquisition side, gets paid, right? Number one is an acquisition fee. Generally, that's either one to 3% of whatever the purchase price is, right? So if it's a million dollar property that you're buying, 1% of that is what, $30,000? But then what doesn't happen, you know, what people tell you is you have to be able to look at the documentation and the partnership and find out how that money is going to be distributed. Because while say, and again, Charles, I don't know your situation. So I'm, you know, if I'm speaking in, you know, incorrectly here, I'm not trying to attribute it to you. Generally that $30,000 is split apart amongst all of the, the general partners. So that's not right. all necessarily going to you. Am I correct in saying that? Is that generally? You're hundred percent correct. So it's, it's, it's one of the big myths in this business. And I think it's one of the things that both excites and then somewhat confuses people. Uh, but but a practical example, you know, in one of my early deals, the acquisition fee was $146,000. And so so the numbers are real. There are big numbers there. Uh, now, did that $146,000 go in my pocket? No. Uh, so to Jonathan's point, you're splitting it many different ways. So my team got just shy of $33,000. At that time, I had two partners. So if you break that down, it's let's call it roughly eleven thousand a person. We we just decided to leave some money in the business because it's probably a good idea to leave some money in so you have money for basic operating expenses and things like that. So we each took out seventy five hundred dollars from that that deal. So Hold on. anybody, Hold on. You, yeah. Let me make sure I get this seventy five hundred dollars out of one hundred and forty some thousand dollars right. in terms of an acquisition fee. Right. So most people. Cannot live on $7,500 a year. I don't most even people. think you can sleep on the street for that price in most cities. There you go. So then, so that's that's way number one is the is the acquisition fee. Way number two is the asset management fee. And that generally is one to maybe two, maybe 3% if you're really lucky, right, of mm -hmm. the yearly adjusted gross income, right? Yeah. And so... That's not sometimes even given to the person who's doing the acquisition. It's generally split amongst right. the general partners as well. Am I correct? Yep. In most cases, yeah. So then even if you're doing, you know, your adjusted, let's just say your adjusted gross was, again, a million dollars, right? And let's say you were doing 1.5%, that's $15,000 a year, but you're not even seeing $15,000 a year, right? right? So you're working really hard for that. Now, the third reason or the third way in, in to, to basically make money is basically what you're talking about is on the back end, right? Yep. Once you're doing either a refinance to 
you know, return a good portion of the equity or all of the equity to um, the partners, right? The LPs and the GPs, um, or you're actually selling that property after three to five years, correct? Correct. And so even then, whatever the proceeds there that come out aren't split, you know, whatever. First of all, if it's a 70-30 deal, 70% of whatever is returned is given back generally to the LPs, right? The silent partners and 30% is still kept for the general partners. And then there's even a split there. So you really yep. may not get all of that, you know, big money, but you know, right. you, it is, it is something. And so that's the reason why we're doing multiple deals over time mm -hmm. and we're scaling up, but it doesn't, yeah. I mean, it, 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 talk to us a little bit more about that. I mean, as you, you're saying, yeah. so, so, so I think what, what you're saying, you really hit the nail on the head with it. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, especially when you're starting out, because when you're starting out, you usually don't have the wherewithal to keep a large percentage of the GP for yourself. So that means you're bringing partners in for different things. And because of that, you're you're giving part of that GP equity away. So what I tell people is your first couple of deals, I'm, I'm not going to put a number on it because it may vary from person to person, sure. but from your first couple of deals, they're really more about track record than they are about money. And your track record is going to be very important because you need to have something to show people, you know, whether it's investors, whether it's brokers, people feel more confident knowing they're dealing with a proven commodity than, than knowing they're dealing with something brand new. You know, it, I mean, if somebody had the foresight to invest in Microsoft in 1983 before they ever went public and it was, you know, Bill Gates in a dormitorium, they probably do very well. But there was also a higher risk on that. You know, there was a, a pretty high probability of failure that, you know, this Bill Gates kid never would have done anything in life. Yep. In retrospect, I'm sure it's probably a pretty good, pretty good investment, but you know that after the fact. So right. that's anything in life. And our industry is no different. You know, so people see you more attractive and in a different light once you have that proven commodity status to you. So for people, what I would recommend starting out is you do want to get into deals and you want to be selective and make sure you have the right partners and the right deals. But even if it's for a smaller percentage of the GP, early on, that's okay. Because you're going to need that as a stepping stone as you grow so that way you can eventually keep more of the GP and make it more lucrative. You know, where, where syndication gets lucrative is when you have a couple of deals under your track record and then you can start commanding larger percentages of the GP and it starts making more sense financially. So then you mentioned now, now you've done nine deals. You have yeah. one full cycle. You recognize, I think I understood you to say that most of the money that you make is going to be when the rest of those eight <laughs> go full cycle, right. which is good. That that's But there's a lot of effort and, and persistence. And again, two and a half years doing you know, this underwriting thing, which is free. You're not getting paid for any of that, right? You're doing that as a service right. to the community. You've just started a, you know, um, the meetup for multifamily investor nation, and you're doing that once a month and then whatever else uh, commitment is there. And of course you're doing other things for your business and you're still kind of, you know, maybe working a part-time job here and there. How do you avoid burnout? How do you keep going? with all of this? I mean, because it's, it's a lot, you know, right? I, I'd like to say I have a good answer for that. So so one good thing is I don't have the part-time job anymore. I got rid of that this past January. Congratulations. But, I, but, but even with the business, you know, on any given week, I probably work 80 to 100 hours. Um, 
how do you avoid burnout? I wish I had a good answer for that because I haven't figured that out. My my thought has always been just to will myself forward because I look at it and I tell myself, well, I could come this far, but I still fell that short. I don't want to fall that short. So most people quit when they're closer to success than they realize. And my thought is, you know, I'm probably a lot closer to hitting where I want to be than I think I am. And you have to keep going because, you know, it's like, think of a football game. You know, do you, do you want to start celebrating when you're on the two-yard line? But okay, So are you taking breaks? I mean, I, I get the whole will yourself forward. I do get that. But, I mean, motivation, you know, sometimes is, you know, a very flighty kind of thing. I mean, is there a routine or something that you have? How do, how do you break down this 80 to 100 hours that you're spending every week yeah. in, in a so, business? Yeah. Most days I probably start working around you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, anything before that, you know, is usually just personal time that I'll take and just kind of get everything, get my head clear, get everything organized. Then so are you, are you up at like, are you an early riser? You're like five o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get up and get some coffee and go running. And usually, all usually six. I, I should probably start doing some running, but no, I haven't done any of that. Uh, <laughs> But, but, okay. but a lot of people say that's good for you. So I, I should probably start incorporating that. <laughs> so about uh, 6 a.m. you wake up, about 7 a.m. you start work. What, it, what, what are you working on at 7 a.m.? So my first thing I usually do is check my emails just to see if there's anything I need to reply to. Uh, and what I try to do is I structure my day where I do more of my administrative work early in the morning or late at night because it's quieter. And, and most days I figure anywhere from you know, probably 10 in the morning until eight, nine at night, I'll probably be in some combination of Zoom meetings, phone calls, or different things where I'm interacting with people in different different ways. So the administrative tasks are usually for early morning or late night, just because I can I can think a little bit more. I don't have as many interruptions, and that's what that's what I kind of reserve those times for. Got it. Are you you know your eating plans and things like that? I mean, I know you talk about self care. Well you know, needing to run or whatever, do you have any, any of those things that kind of help guide you or whatever? No, not, not really. I should probably be better organized with those things too. I, I've been organized with the work life, the, the, the health and the eating I probably need to do a little better with. So <laughs> I, I do eat, there's no question on that, but I, I'm not going to say I follow a, a good rhythm with it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, listen, I want to say thank you so much for being so transparent and sharing that. I mean, there's a lot of us who you know, uh, aren't quite there, you know, who are not necessarily doing uh, marathons or triathlons or whatever, trying to get to wherever we need to get to, you know, um, but we're spending a lot of time. And so yeah. you're spending 80, 80 to 100 hours uh, when you're on these Zoom calls and things of that sort. Are you, I mean, between that 10 a.m. to I think you said 9 p.m. time frame, are you underwriting deals? Are you sending LOIs? Are you doing Not any usually things? Is that considered part of the administrative part of the day? That I leave for the administrative stuff because what I find is whenever I start doing anything that requires me to actually think during the day, I usually get interrupted. So I've realized it's better not to use that time for it. And I, I focus that for quiet time, which is usually early morning or late night because it gives me some time to think. Got it. <laughs> I think I understand that. So then if someone is thinking about getting involved in commercial real estate, you're saying now you 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 have you've finally gotten rid of your full-time and your part-time position after about how many years you had done 14 right. years. 
you know, full time for someone else, but you mm -hmm. started going after multifamily for what, three, five years has it been? Yeah, so so I, I've been in the space now about five and a half years. The first two, I was very part-time because I was still working my full-time job. And while I realized I'd made a lot of progress in those two years, what I also realized, it was nowhere near the progress I wanted it to be. And that was why I ultimately decided to change and leave a job I was at for 14 years and a city I'd lived in my entire life in New York and say, okay, let me put myself right in the target market how do you get to know the, the people and the markets better than being there every single day? And my thought process was, let me just give it the old college try and go all in because, you know, uh, if I keep going the way I am now, I am making progress. It'll probably take me 10 years to get a deal done. Got it. That's courage, my friend. So did you do a budget? I mean, were you doing like Dave Ramsey kind of stuff? I mean, it went no, you know what? I, I had some money in savings, you know, probably not as much as I should have in retrospect. Sure, sure. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, for better or worse, I didn't think as much as I should have. I just said, let's do it. And we're going to go yeah. all in. Yeah. And that was after a few months when I realized, okay, you know what? I need to start doing something to bring income in because this is going to take longer than I really thought to start making money. And that was when I got the part-time job because I said, oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to be totally broken out of money in a few months. <laughs> I got it, my friend. I got yeah. it. Well, listen, it, we, we're we we're getting close to the end of our, our time here, and I would love to delve into a couple more things that you mentioned. Absolutely. But how, how, how do people, before we run out of time, how do people get in contact with you? Um, yeah, what's the best way for them to get in contact? Sure. I'll give you three methods. First one is by text message. That's 347-306-3278. Second is by email, charles at cashflowchamps, with an S at the end, dot com. And third, you can find this on our website, cashflowchamps.com. There you go. And so then how do they get uh, more information about the Saturday, um, syndicate, you know, the, the, the underwriting, uh, sure. and then the, the monthly meetup? How do they get in contact with you about that? So on the website, uh, there's actually a form that they can fill out, which does have an option to sign up for the underwriting sessions on it, or they can email or text me about that and the meetup, and I'm glad to give them any information on both. Well, listen, everybody, please reach out to Charles Seaman. Again, he has been very consistent in this area. He has gone all in. He's burned the boats, burned the ships, as uh, some people would say. And uh, he is doing it. He's, um, again, nine nine deals in, one full cycle. Um, and he shared with us some very transparent, real real world kinds of things. And so I, I look forward to seeing big things from Cashflow Champs in the future. Um, this, the last thing we do is to kind of say, uh, give our, our, our people the boot, right? What is that one piece of information or two pieces uh, that you think that people need to hear right now in the market that we're in right now? So the biggest thing I think is don't get discouraged. And sometimes that's easier said than done, especially if you've been at it for a while, you haven't got a deal, you haven't made any money, uh, you have other work and life obligations getting in the way. Sometimes it can beat you up good. Uh, you need to keep your head high, you need to keep moving forward, and you need to realize that in a couple of months, we're going to have more good deals in front of us than you'll, than you'll know what to do with. Okay, so why in a couple good months? What what makes you say that? Because at the time that we're recording this is November of 2022. Why do you say that? So I say that because we're in a period of transition. And what's happening right now is in most markets, we've seen prices come down a good bit this year. 
uh, some markets as much as 20% already. And there's still more to come. Why is there more to come? There's more to come because we've hit a point in the cycle where in most cases, not all, but most, sellers who want to sell aren't selling because it doesn't make sense for them to do so. Sellers who need to sell aren't going to have a choice. There's going to be a lot of sellers who need to sell over the next couple of months and even years. There's a lot of people who bought with bridge debt when rates were in the low to mid 3% range on the commercial real estate side. They're nowhere near that range now. They're nope. going to have a tough time refinancing. And a lot of those guys are going to need to sell whether they realize it or not. And because of that, there's going to be people selling things at deep discounts and there will be tremendous buying opportunities. So then how do they, and we've got about five minutes left, how do they, someone who's interested in syndication, they've got a list of people, you know, that may be interested in, in, in investing and those people are concerned, they're scared, they're waiting the time to market, they're, you know, they got the powder dry. I mean, how do you talk to them to say, hey, there's going to be some opportunities to come up, potentially I, consider working with us? How, how, do you, how do you do that? So I, I think the only way you can do it is to be transparent, but to also say that nobody has all the answers. And as much as any of us are experts, you know, I think even Jerome Powell, the, the Fed chairman, would tell you he couldn't give you a conclusive answer where things will be six months from now. So the, the, the reality is things are going to get worse before they get better. And that's probably not the news people want to want to hear. I like hearing that on the buying side, maybe not so much on the selling side, but on the buying side is exciting. Uh, things are going to get worse before they get better. So for people that are in deals and they have these notes coming due in the next couple of months, it's probably not going to be a pretty situation for them. Mm. For people on the buying side, there's going to be great opportunities. So what you want to do is reassure your investors that, look, guys, you know this has happened before. We've had recessions. Uh, eventually what happens is you come out of a recession. You know, Right now, we're not there yet. Things are going to get worse. Put your seatbelt on. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, and I, I tell this even to my friends who invest in stocks, which I, I like stocks also. And I tell them, I said, listen, guys, if you don't know what you're doing, you can make a lot of money if you know what you're doing right now. But if you don't, you're better off just keeping your money in cash and letting the bumpiness, you know, ride itself out and then jumping back in a few months. It's a bear so, market. So, you know, especially if you're an options trader, you know, bet on things going down. How about right. that? <laughs> if that's if that's something that uh, you can you can handle your heart can handle then go for it yeah listen, yeah, listen charles thank you so much for your uh your time and uh your expertise and if uh you want to get in contact with charles please feel free to reach out to cashflowchance.com and of course he's already given his cell phone number etc feel free to reach out to me uh we're looking at deals um charles and i are both looking the same well similar markets you're in the charlotte area correct charlotte North Carolina. yeah so, so at this point, we really look the southeast, we do the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and Virginia. Got it. And uh, I'm looking in the um, in the triad area of North Carolina. So that's Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point. And we're focused on, again, that smaller set of, uh, of uh, units, if you will, that Charles mentioned before, again, because there aren't, isn't going to be very much or as much competition uh, for those larger units. So we're getting started, getting our feet wet. Thank you so much again, Charles, for all your time. Look, mate, if there's anything we can ever do for you over here, please let us know, all right? Jonathan, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Absolutely, man.